Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Well, my name is Nate Gagne. I'm the lead pastor of Restoration Church, and uh, we're joined in today with uh, Bethlehem, Milton, and Plymouth. Dover, would you welcome them to this time together? I want to take a moment before we jump into the message to pray together as a church. And uh, so at every location, um, the, the kind of the, the sense that myself and a couple of our, our leaders have been kind of feeling this week is after, sometimes after great spiritual victories or after, or, or, or moments before great spiritual breakthroughs, it seems like the enemy really presses hard on us to try to get us to quit. And if you have felt that way at all in the last couple of weeks, I mean, are you brave enough even at the locations uh, to just say, hey, that is me. Like, I've been feeling that. And my hand's up, and I'm sure my wife's hand's up as she's at Milton today. Uh, it can seem like, whew, man, no matter where you turn, uh, maybe you just feel like maybe something bad's going to happen. I want to read you a scripture. Again, this is before I preach, but it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And, and I'm reading this as an encouragement to those of you who have raised your hand. It says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I don't know if you've ever tried to kill like, you know, a fly or a spider or a hornet before. And, and man, you, you step on that thing and, and apologize for those of you who are for spiders' rights, but you step on that spider and you're like, you're, you know, you're, you're doing the stanky leg on that thing. And uh, you take your foot off and it like got bigger. And you're like, what? And you, and you try again. And, uh, and so it's like Gangnam Style, that one. And then that, that doesn't kill it either. Listen, I just want to, kind of the, the encouragement here in scripture is that as people who are following Jesus, we may be hard pressed. It may be, feel like, you know, like we're getting uh, stomped on and, and squished. But, the, but when that shoe lifts, like the encouragement is, you will not be destroyed. You cannot be destroyed as a child of God. Now, you can quit. You can give up. You can walk away. But if you'll continue following Jesus, then there's not, there's not a destruction. There's not a destruction destiny. There's not a destruction destiny. It is the will of God over your life, and that's it. So I want us to pray together as a, as a church, and, and this, is not a, this is not really like a, a memorized, like kind of feel-good prayer. The prayer that we're about to do as a church, this is more like a, like a, like a, a, a battle cry or a fight prayer. This is, a, you know, um, 
this prayer, and I apologize for the story, but it reminds me of when I was in college and um, it was summer classes and I went home for the weekend and coming back for summer class. So most of the, most of the, most of the campus is empty. But when I came back to school that, that Monday, it was a Monday morning and uh, come back to my dorm room. When I go into the dorm room, there was a guy sleeping in my bed, like under my covers and using my pillow. And I went, oh, excuse me, sir, this is my bed. Could you please exit it? All right. There, there are prayers of knowing what our rights are and what our property is and knowing that something doesn't belong. So our prayer is really like an eviction notice or a, a post-it, uh, a no trespassing sign like, hey, you've kind of slept in the wrong bed. And if you're not quickly removed, you're about to see the macho man elbow coming off the side of this turnbuckle. So this is our prayer. Will you close your eyes? Will you believe and pray with me? Jesus, last week we celebrated the greatest day in history, that day of final victory where you walked out of the tomb. And everything that that victory did, death, uh, victory over death, victory over a sin, victory over hell, that was not just an eternal victory, but it was a now victory. When we walk in the spirit, when we walk as followers of you, this scripture is true. This one we just read. We may be pressed on every side, but we will not be crushed in Jesus' name. God, not only did you walking out of the tomb give us that victory, but also your life hanging on that cross gave us that same victory. The blood of Jesus that was poured out, your blood, Jesus, that was poured out, man, it was washed over us and it protects us from any spiritual attack. So right now, in Jesus' name, we command these spiritual attacks to end. You've got no right. You've got no right. We command you to go. And Jesus, we thank you for your protection and we thank you for an end to this nonsense. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're starting a series, Family Classic, a little bit golf-themed, but we're going to talk about family and relationships uh, for, for the next few weeks. And for those of you you've never met me beyond today, uh, I'm married. My wife and I will be married 16 years here in a couple of, a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And, um, and we've got four boys. And, you know, there are times where we, honestly, <laughs> I, I really just preface this. Today feels like the wrong day for me to be talking about um, how to, how to, this question, is your family on par? Like, I'm like, nope. <laughs> Honestly. Um, and even during worship, I'm feeling like, man, I, I, sometimes it, like just feeling like a little bit of condemnation. Like I don't, I don't. I, maybe I should change the message today and uh, talk about something else. Um, just because now, part of it is me wanting to um, to be transparent with you. Um, part of it too is I, I don't ever want to preach something that we're not living. And my family is amazing. 
My wife is amazing. My boys are amazing. But we are, but we are not perfect. All right, we are not perfect, and I don't want to present that to you. But we do serve a perfect God, and there are a lot of testimonies within our family of the grace and goodness of God. And so it's kind of like this. I'm not standing up here as some expert. I'm standing up here as a follower of Jesus, as a pastor. I believe this. God works. God does miracles. And, uh, and I'm not better than you, all right? And uh, prayerfully, one day, I'll be a grandparent and... Uh, uh, and you know, I'd be able to, to preach at my own kids. So, the, but this, this question, you know, maybe you don't ask it this way exactly, but it's this wondering, are we doing okay? Are we, are we helping our kids follow Jesus? Are we helping them to, to be, uh, you know, to be Christians, to be uh, to have a biblical worldview, are we helping them against the temptations of the world? Are we, you know, where do we where do we stack up? Where do we stack up against other families? And this question, obviously, is a golf question, but but it's kind of a, goes within culture. And this idea is my family at the same level or standard as everyone else's? Is my family as good as yours? Is my family as good as other people's? And we think of, uh, of a, we kind of think about our families as, me be, as being ranked and like it's a golf leaderboard. I, I've got a picture for you of a golf leaderboard because some of you could care less about golf. But I'll show you this picture. This was from the, uh, from the, master, the recent Masters event. And we're thinking, all right, you know, what's the last names of the, of the people in church or the people in my neighborhood or the people at school? Where do I rank on this leaderboard. And we look at all kinds of things. You can leave that up there for me for a little bit. We look at all kinds of things. We, we look at our, if you've got kids in the house or, or, or even adult kids or grandkids, you're looking at those things to try to place yourself and rank yourself. And you can look at, if you're looking at your kids, you can look at their grades. You're looking at their sports and their sports accomplishments, their scholarships, you're looking at their style or even, you know, if you're, if you're like really hip, you're looking at the amount of subscribers their YouTube channel has. And we're ranking ourselves constantly. Like, okay, well, we may be lower than them, but we're higher than them. Sometimes we're looking at our cars and our homes and, and the possessions that we have to rank ourselves. And we come to all of this rankings and, and then we kind of figure out where our last name is. And then sometimes we, you know, maybe we look at everything and we're like, maybe we should move to a worse neighborhood. <laughs> if we move to a worse neighborhood, I think we'll make it to the leaderboard. And so we're even thinking about like, we can't compete here. Let's go somewhere else where we can compete. Now, is this a way of thinking that God wants us to have? Does God want us comparing ourselves with other families? Does God want us ranking ourselves against other families? And, and maybe even a different question, does God rank us this way? Does God look at Restoration Church and he has a ranking of families? Um, does he look at um, church nation you, you know, internationally and, and have a ranking of families? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, he, he doesn't. At least I can't find it in scripture where he does do that. 
this type of thinking, this, this ranking, this, this way that we compare ourselves and evaluate ourselves and, and think, well, I'm better parents than them, or our kids are better than their kids, or our marriage is better than theirs. Well, at least we don't do that. Well, at least I don't let my kids dress, look in public like that. At least in the way we try to position ourselves and posture ourselves against others, this type of thinking comes from sin. So all, all of a sudden you realize if you've been playing this ranking, this leaderboard evaluation of your family against other families, you've got to look and check, wait a minute, is this thinking coming out of a sinful place in my own heart and my own life? I, and I would think so. If you're looking at other people and you're convincing yourselves you're better than them, well, what can that come from? Well, that comes from the sin of pride which is very, very subtle and unbelievably destructive. It could come from the, uh, from the sin of greed. And so you're pushing your family, you're pushing your career. Why? Because you just want more and more and more and more. And I think these are two common things that lead us into this type of behavior, making decisions that aren't godly, but also a third sin and that of idolatry. And, um, and, and that's something to think through. What is it that you're worshiping? If we're worshiping Jesus, well, there, is, um, there, there should ultimately be a place of contentment. There should be ultimately a place of, uh, of cheering others on. But if we're, our worship is ourselves or, or our last name or our profession or, or we worship our kids, we're worshiping anything other, anything other than Jesus, it's going to bring us to a place ultimately that we don't want to be. It's, it is this type of sin that led to the college admissions scandal of 2019. You may not be familiar with it, and so if you're not, I'll tell you about it, but maybe you are, but, but, but never paid attention, never paid into all the details. So there was a group of rich people who, um, who were, uh, had found some middleman, and, and this middleman was taking bribes and taking money to help them get their kids into the, uh, into the college of their choice, into prestigious, you know, big name colleges. And so they were, they were you know, when, hey, after your, your, child takes the ACTs. We're going to go back. I've got someone who's going to redo all of their answers and correct their answers and submit an ACT test that, uh, that will get them, it will score them high enough to get into this school. And so that was happening. They were doing fake, uh, fake sports scholarships. And so they, you know, a famous one, um, one guy, he was the fencing coach at Harvard he took $1.5 million in bribes. And so like, hey, no one really cares about fencing. No one's paying attention. Let's pretend I'm going to pay you a lot of money to pretend my kid is a fencing whiz. And, uh, and so then you'll accept him into your program, right? Because every sports coach gets a certain number of scholarships to build their program. And so, hey, I'll pocket my lining. I'll put him, I'll, I'll just say he's, great at fencing, even though he's never done it once in his life, and he'll be, and so that was happening. Tennis, water polo, uh, all of these, 
all, all of these different sports. There was one celebrity couple who paid $500,000 to get their two daughters into USC, the, the University of, I don't even know, like, who cares, who, USC. <laughs> Half a million dollars, like come on. Haven't you heard of UNH? Like, I can get you a sweet dorm. Um, and, and what these families, and there was a lot of them, uh, spending jail time, uh, receiving fines. Uh, I think 53 people, if I remember right, 53 people spent time in jail from this scandal. What these families were saying is that, you know, they're looking, is my family on par? And they were saying, par is not good enough. It is not good enough. I cannot be equal to everybody else. And, and par, for, again, for golf, a course has a par. And so you're essentially trying to beat the course, or at least like this is what, if you're a good golfer, if you're a decent golfer, you should hit par. Like you should be able to, to just play the course. And they're saying, I, I, we can't even be on par. We've got to birdie parenthood. If my kids go, hey, don't make it into USC, if my kid doesn't make it into Stanford, if they don't make it into Harvard, if they don't, then what have I even done? What have I even accomplished? I need to get my, my kids into these best opportunities and possibilities. And you really, really even think it's about the kid? No, it's about, uh, for a, a lot of them, it's about the parent. I need to look good. I need to make sure. And the truth these parents weren't even on the fairway. We're talking about par. We're talking about the fairway. We're talking about birding and being expert parents. Listen, they were playing so outside of the bounds, they weren't even on the course. Their parenthood game was much like my own golf game. When I play golf, and just in case you're like, Pastor Nate just loves golf, he wants to talk about golf. When I play golf, I don't, I, I've never really taken score. In all of my years, I learned how to play golf when I was 18, I think. When I, learned, when I play golf, I'm the type of golfer who you think, oh, wow, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> when I play golf, I, here's how I score it, all right? And it depends on the, I don't score it the same way every time. So I either score it by, um, how do you play, how do you, you know, if Michelle's like, oh, you play golf with you today. I'm like, I'm not, not too bad. I only lost four of the, of the golf balls I paid for. So I'm down for, which is like eight bucks, probably even more than that. Well, I buy the cheapest reused golf balls, but eight bucks. Um, or, or I play it by how many golf balls I find on the course. Like, how was golf today? Great. Like, I got like 15 balls I found in the woods. It's the great th part about playing in the springtime before everything grows back. Or, um, or even like, uh, anyway, so that was a little bit off subject here, but I don't... I don't know, I, I apologize for that. <laughs> if you were at Easter last week, you're like, does he do this every week? Well, you found your, yeah, I do do this every week. I... <laughs> so these parents, right, they are so out of bounds. They are so off course that it's really, honestly, it's frightening. What we've got to look at, we're in church today. We are followers of Jesus. We have families that hopefully we're trying to cultivate and to be followers of Jesus, we have to understand, 
We can't compare ourselves to the families in our communities or our school districts because we, first off, we're not even playing the same course that they are. They're running a, a different course by a whole different set of rules. As follower, followers of Jesus, we are on a completely different fairway. We're looking for completely different results, and we're playing by a completely different set of rules. We cannot compare ourselves to the other families around us. Now, as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't compare ourselves to each other, but that, you know, but we'll probably get there, and if I don't, like, just know that as we walk through this. Here's the thing. When culture and the world around, those who don't follow Jesus, there's nothing in culture that's celebrating spiritual growth and spiritual disciplines. But as a Christian family unit. Those are the, the metrics that we need to look at mo most, uh, look at uh, very, very closely. And we can get caught up playing the wrong course. As a Christian family, it can become about School, it can become about sports, it can become about money, it can become about scholarship, it can become about all these other things. And listen, it doesn't matter if you play the best game of your life at Pebble Beach if the tournament is at Augusta. So it doesn't matter if you win and you're like, we've done it, we've done it. But then you've been playing the wrong course all along. As followers of Jesus, the course we're running, the course we're playing on, it is not like everybody else's course. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. And in this passage of scripture, we're looking at a family and at first we're not entirely sure how old they are, but, 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 but um, our assumption here, they are, this is a younger couple. There's no mention of them having children, but, but they're mentioned in a couple different places in scripture, in the New Testament. And so our understanding is young couple, young family, and eventually they're having children and, uh, you know, and having that same dynamic we do, uh, though, though it's not mentioned. So in Acts chapter 18, we have the mention of a couple named uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife. So Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. Then Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And we just read scripture from Corinthians. Paul went to Corinth where he, he wrote the letter that we just read to that church in Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. So um, Aquila and Priscilla, they are living in Rome, Italy. You know, pretty nice little city there. Priscilla is a Roman name. So we understand she is Italian. She is uh, she's a Roman citizen. She's grown up in history. And, she, and, and history tells us she's from a prominent noble family who lived in that city. Aquila is a Jewish name. So we see and understand that a young Roman girl fell in love with a young Jewish boy and they were married. 
This is an unacceptable marriage relationship in those days on both sides. The Romans and the Jews never gave each other in marriage because of political, spiritual, and racial reasons. So their choosing to be married is going to cause for them all types of complications. And then what happened that in Rome, it became a huge wave of anti-Jewish ideologies. And that was when Claudius said, every Jewish person must leave. You are not allowed to live in our city. And so that's when Aquila and Priscilla had no choice but to move out of Rome. So they're coming from Italy to Corinth. Paul's coming from Israel to Corinth. And Corinth is a, 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 a kind of a new developing city. It had social, cultural, and religious diversity. A lot going on in that city. Just a real melting pot of all kinds of different ideas and beliefs. And they move to Corinth probably because it is a place that is not really going to bat an eye that they are this, um, this mixed couple. It mixed in, in, in race and mixed in, in um, spiritual background. In that time, Paul moves to Corinth and they begin to work together. We see the, this in verse number three. Paul lived and worked with them, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, for they were tent makers just as he was. So Paul, he moves to Corinth. He's got to make some money. He's, he's funding his ministry. He's, he's obviously got to eat and, and uh, he's moving to an area where there's not really probably not many, if any, Christians. And so he's got to, he's, he gets a job to help him to support his ministry habit. I, I need to eat and I need to eat to preach. So um, because he has this skill of making tents, he connects with these two who have the same profession. He begins to work together with them. Paul uses this opportunity to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with them. And, and this husband and wife become believers. They become followers of Jesus. From two vastly different religious backgrounds, they together meet Jesus and make the decision to follow him. Question I want to ask you, if you're looking at your family, and again, I don't want you to look at your family against any other family. Don't look at it and compare it to mine. Don't look at it and compare it to you know, your siblings or anybody else here in church. We want every single one of us want to take our lives, our hearts, our decisions, our, our understanding of right and wrong, our worldview, our family, our patterns, our habits, and take it to Scripture. What does Scripture say? What does Scripture say about me and about my sin? What does Scripture say about God? What does Scripture say about my family? And we're looking and evaluating ourselves to this always. Never to culture, Never to other people, but always, always, always to Scripture. The question to ask, and this is not one of condemnation, but a question to ask is, does your family follow Jesus? 
do they? And they're, you know, we're on different spectrums. Some of us, some of you have children who aren't children anymore, and they've decided, they've, they've made the decision for themselves not to follow Jesus. That's not anything that you should feel condemned over. But some of you have little kids in your home. Some of you have teenagers in your home. You need to look at that. You need to, you need to look at that question a little bit differently. If you're trying to build a godly family, then it should be your heart and your desire for your family to follow Jesus. What tools, what effort, what habits are you crafting within your family to help create the space for them to know Jesus and follow him? Or to to, to even get to the place where they recognize that Jesus is real, and if they want to reject him or not, that they would be able to have that opportunity. So Aquila and Priscilla, they move into Corinth. They are, they, they are forced to move there. They've got to find a new house. They've got to reestablish their business. They've got to start everything new. Under this pressure, Paul introduces them to Jesus. They give their life to Jesus and they begin now as followers of Jesus. Many of you who follow Jesus now, it's because of someone like Paul who introduced you to him. And what I'm encouraging you to do is to be the person who introduces Jesus to your family, much like that jailer who who experienced a miracle in that jail. And, and um, uh, Paul and Silas said uh, to him, you know, and they went and they, or, or Peter, I didn't write this in my notes. Peter and Silas, Paul and Silas, they, they went and led that jailer and his whole family to the Lord. It was not something he kept to himself. It was not something that was private to him. It was something that he was deliberate in trying to cultivate an opportunity for the entire family. We have a responsibility to show Jesus to the people we come in contact with. So again, does your family follow Jesus? Are you cultivating or creating that opportunity at all? A question to ask, right, is do, you, you, can't, you can't decide whether or not your family will follow Jesus. I can't decide that for my boys. I can't. I can't decide that for my grandkids. I can't decide that for my wife. Those are decisions that they make. But what am I doing to cultivate those opportunities? What are the strategies in place for those opportunities? Some, some big strategies I have that we've been running for a long time. I don't, know, I don't know how many years ago, maybe eight years ago, I talked with Michelle and I, you know, and I said, you know, one thing that I want to do is I want to I want to go on a mission trip with each of our boys, just me and them. And, and, and getting on the same page, understanding our why, and then running that play. And so over the last eight years, I've been able to do that three times, and hopefully next year, I'll be able to do it the fourth time, and, I, and we'll have done that, a mission trip with every boy. Why? Well, because I want them to see that church and Christianity is not Restoration Church, and it's not my job. 
that I love Jesus, so I became a pastor, and that, that Jesus is real, and so that's why we have church, and that the local church is powerful, that's why we're a part of one, and that God moves all the way around the world. It's not a white thing, it's not a US thing, it is God creator of heaven and earth. And so in those moments, they begin to have a compassion for people. They begin to have an understanding of the, of the gospel and Jesus being real. And, and at different times, they see dramatically supernatural things happen on those trips that let them know without a shadow of a doubt, okay, God is real. And I'm trying to cultivate, create that. So you can't make that decision for them, but can you give them all the tools that they need? Second thing I want you to ask is, does your family serve his church? Priscilla and Aquila, we look at them again, Acts 18, 18. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that and then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters. Scroll down a little bit. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. All of a sudden now, they're being a part of sharing Jesus with the world they are now becoming missionaries themselves, but more than moving out of the, the country that they lived in and the city that they lived in, they are, being, they are participating in what God is doing. They're open. God, what do you want us to do? We're going to do it. They're getting saved. They're getting involved in ministry, and they're serving God in whatever way they can. Is there, are there opportunities and ways for you to serve God together? Um, you know, a, a work day at Bethlehem a few weeks ago, Rob Burgess and his two teenage sons, they're there all day working. A few days before, his dad was there all day working. So here's three generations of a family from Dover serving in Bethlehem to launch that location. Um, I, you know, I'm here today. My son was serving on Welcome Center today. Uh, my wife's serving in Milton today. We're serving God together. Um, we had a, a brother and sister serving on the youth band at youth group last week. They're serving God together. How do we, how do we incorporate our, our service to God and to his bride, which is the church? How do we do that together? How are we all involved in that, all enjoying that, all having fun with that? Years later, Paul writes back to the church at Rome, and he, and he talks about Aquila and Priscilla. So eventually, is back in Rome, um, and, he, he, and he, he writes this. He says, give my greetings in Romans 16 to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. They have done a great work with their life. And even you've, if you've heard about Apollo, Apollos, who's in scripture, it says he was a great orator. Well, Priscilla and Aquila discipled him and began to take him under their wing and help him to understand Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and helping him to, and even in Gentile ministry, helping them. Serve God with your family. And dads, you've got to cultivate that. Parents, you've got to cultivate that. And for the, parent, for the, for the, the teenagers who are serving 
and your parents aren't, cultivate that. Invite them to participate with you. The last question I have for you is, does your family worship together? And our, our bands can come up. Romans 16, 5. We just read, hey, you know, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. And then verse number 5 says, and give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. They are, they are worshiping together. They are uh, attending church together. They are serving together. One challenge that, that families have, um, have uh, wrestled with is I don't want to force my child to go to church because then they may reject it. And I just want to, this is not a condemnation, but just, a, just maybe a light bulb moment. Have you ever taken that approach with school or education or showering or other personal hygiene events? No, we force our kids to do what's important. And your child likely is not going to have an encounter with God if you're not putting them in the places to encounter God. Develop that strategy. What is that strategy? What do you do? A mission trip is part of mine. Going to church, even when we're away on vacation, is part of ours. So when, if we're in Florida, we go, we find a church in Sunday. When, if we're in Virginia, we go to a church that Sunday morning. If we're in, I don't know where else we've been. We're in Ohio, we go to that church on that Sunday morning. It's just, we're always gonna do it. And even if it's a staycation, we go and find a local church here in town to attend and sit in service. That's part of our strategy. Sunday mornings, it's not an option. We go to church. What are your strategies? What can you develop? How are you gonna worship time together? And remember, it's not just service-centric. This is not the only place where we follow Jesus. So have you prayed for each other ever before? Have you ever, when you've been sick, you say, hey, let me pray for you. One of you had a hard day, you say, hey, let me pray for you. One of you just did something amazing and say, hey, let's pray about that. You, you, you bought a new home, you, something happens, you say, let's, you know, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did this good thing happen? Well, it's because of God's goodness on our life. Why did this bad thing happen? We don't know, but what do we do know? Whether we're pressed down, we'll not be destroyed. And be, take those moments to craft and cultivate and protect, but worship together at home. Pray together. Listen to music together. Not as a condemnation, but just be, let's stop trying to compare ourselves to other people and let's try to help each other to follow Jesus. Three things here that we mentioned, salvation, Serving God, worshiping God. If you're following Jesus for the first time, you're a week old, you just gave your life to Jesus at Easter time. Like, I have no idea what to do. Well, we'll help you. Ask questions. Don't be embarrassed. I bought my nine-year-old a vape. Is that something I should be doing or not doing? Oh, let's have, feel free to ask those questions. We're going to help you out and begin to say, well, what does scripture say? What does the Bible say? How do we help them to know the God who changed our life? Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. 
we give you our whole heart and, and our whole mind. We just praise you and bless you. Help us, God, not to get sucked into what the world is doing, but to stay, keep our eyes focused on you. What do you want for me? What do you want for my wife? What do you want for our family? What do you want for our extended family? What do you want for our future family? God, what can we do today to just begin, to just do the fundamentals, just hit it on the fairway, not worried about 350 yards, not worrying about par or birdie, just hitting it onto the fairway. What are those strategies, God? What are those disciplines, God, that you want us to begin to incorporate into our family? Speak to our mind, just one, that we begin to practice that and put it into place this week. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.